Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, I was going to minister on and start a new series tonight, and uh, the further I got into it and uh, uh, and uh, going over it again, it, it seems that it naturally flows uh, out of, or, or, or doesn't flow out of, but it, it naturally follows what I've been teaching on Sunday. So what I decided to do is tonight is to attempt to wrap up what I've ministered the last two Sundays. And so uh, I'm going to press to try to do that. And then on Sunday, I'm going to start the new series that I thought about starting tonight. I think the, that... Uh, the wisdom of God is to do this on Sunday. I'm going to do a series entitled Judging Dreams, Visions, Revelations, and Spiritual Manifestations. Amen? And, uh, and I think it's going to be uh, enlightening and very helpful because there's a lot of people today, a lot of voices in the church uh, saying all sorts of things, having all kinds of revelations, and they can't claim supernatural uh, events and supernatural uh, means of communication and all that. Well, we're going to look at, at the Bible, see what the Bible says about judging these kinds of things. And so we'll start that on Sunday. But let me uh, uh, hopefully wrap up what I've been looking at for the last couple of Sundays t- uh, tonight. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. Glory to God. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We looked at this. Verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says, emphatically says, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, it didn't say everybody. Didn't even say most. It said some will depart from the faith. But notice, these are, these are believers who fall away. It's not talking about the unsaved who, who've never known God. You have to be in the faith to fall away from the faith. But that should, that should get our attention when he says the Spirit is emphatically and explicitly emphasizing this fact that in latter times some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So we looked at that and then we looked over in uh, Acts chapter 20. So I want you to go there with me. I'm just, you know, quickly recapping. I'm not going to make a lot of comments uh, just remind you of where we looked and make a, a brief comment or two. Acts chapter 20, when uh, Paul was talking to the elders that he had assembled from the city of Ephesus, he assembled a, uh, a pastor's conference on the, uh, in the city of Miletus. And uh, when he was ministering to them, he said this. He said, verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd or to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Then he said something very important. He said, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. In other words, from this company of pastors that he had assembled together. He said, I know this that even from among yourselves uh, 
Men will rise up speaking perverse things, not, not necessarily those pastors, but from the pastors, pastors in that city, speaking perverse things to draw, to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so we talked about this word perverse. It means distorted or twisted things. There are people that intentionally distort and twist the word of God. They do it knowingly. They do it because they have an agenda, and they do it uh, uh, most often to draw away disciples after themselves. Amen. I pointed out that this word that uh, is translated uh, twist here, there's another scripture over in uh, first, uh, Second Peter chapter 3 talking about people who twist or rest with the scriptures. Uh, and that verse or that word uh, is used, the, that Greek word was used to describe putting somebody on the rack of torture where they were pulled unnaturally in every direction to, to the point of dislocating their, their members. And that's what people do with scriptures. They twist them and stretch them in, in ways that they were never intended to be stretched and present that as truth. Well, we need to be aware of that's because Paul said this is going to happen in latter times. Well, uh, just because we see people doing this does not necessarily mean that we're in that latter time that, that he talked about because people have been doing this since Paul's day. But when we see a lot of it going on like we do now, we should have our spiritual antenna up and realize that the Lord has warned us about days like we're in right now. And when people twist the scriptures, I have a, 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 a saying, and I, and I don't have it word for word from the scientific community because I've, I've forgotten it, but there's something, there's sort of an axiom in the scientific world, and it goes something like this. I think it's called Occam's razor or somebody's razor. I don't know. But it says something like this, that the most likely uh, explanation for something happening is usually the right explanation. That's a scientific principle that, that scientists know and operate off. In other words, they're not looking to, to disprove the obvious when you look into a scripture and it just says plainly what it says, that's what it means. It doesn't have to be twisted and, and, and explained. I, I know 1 John 1, 9 is controversial with a lot of people today. And it simply says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it doesn't say in that verse that we are to ask for forgiveness. All it says if we, if, that if we confess our sins... But there has to be a confession of the sin in order for the forgiveness to take place. But people, because that runs so contrary to, to an extreme grace message that is so prevalent in the church today, people have, take, have gone to hilarious extremes. Taking this scripture and torturing is what I call it, torturing the scriptures, twist it in every way. I know one man, now he's a good man. I, I'm, I'm not a personal friend of his, but I have met him. And uh, he's a good man. He's a good Christian and a good, a good Bible teacher. And, uh, and, and most everything he teaches is sound. But on this particular point, he has written an entire book explaining why 1 John 1, 9 doesn't mean what it says. I'm not talking about a, a just a little team. An entire book. 
And he, and he goes, he labors with, with, with this explanation and you just wonder, why don't you just, it, it's not out of balance with the rest of, of the scriptures. Amen. It's, it's in harmony with the rest of the Bible. Now, now if it wasn't, then you might want to dig a little deeper and say, well, what, what was he really saying here? But you know what? He's just saying what he said, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It, you know, just somebody as simple as me can figure that out. Amen. So uh, uh, let's go over tonight to 2 Timothy. And we've looked at these verses before. I want to go into a little more depth. 2 Timothy. And let's look at verse chapter 4. And look at verse number three. He said here, now in, in first and second Timothy, he, 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 he takes this theme from first Timothy and he carries it into second Timothy. And in chapter three, verse one, he says, but know this. Well, we ought to know something. We ought to know this. That in the last times or in the last days, perilous times will come. The margin of my Bible says times of stress. Other people, other translations say uh, hard or difficult times. In the, in the last days, hard, difficult, stressful times will come. How many of you know he's not talking about long lines at the gas station? That's not what he's talking about. Amen. And, uh, and then he describes, and we've looked at some of, uh, of, uh, of this, uh, and, and we'll go back to this chapter a little later. But over in chapter 4, he said in verse number Three, for the time will come. Well, it would be that time. And, and like I said, just because we see uh, something here and there doesn't necessarily mean that we're in that time. But to me, it seems like all of these things uh, are coming to pass on a scale that, that I know this in my lifetime. Now, you know, I've only lived a short life. So I can't, you know, I, I don't have the perspective of having lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. But in my lifetime and in my Christian walk, I've never seen anything like the deception that's in the church right now. And so uh, we need to be warned and we need to be forewarned. Because he said the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll, that, that word uh, endure simply means to put up with. They won't put up with sound doctrine. There are people that, that there are friends of mine that I've known many, many years have, have solid, had solid ministries with good fruit. And they got off on a tangent. And I, and I tried not to argue, but to, to talk to them and, and respond to things that, that they wrote and absolutely would not endure any point of view but their point of view. Would not, would not endure sound doctrine. And I, you know, there are people like that. And I've seen people like that. And I've seen their ministries nosedive because they felt like they had a new revelation. Well, on Sunday, we're going to talk about where these new revelations come from. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know, doctrine has to be, for, for a doctrine to be sound, it has to be balanced. And I explain it like this. Uh, every revelation from the Word of God, or from the Spirit of God, we, we do know that the Holy Spirit does bring revelation. 
It's not revelation outside of the word. It's revelation from the word. A better way might, because that, that word revelation trips a lot of people up, a better way to say that is illumination or enlightenment. The Holy Spirit does illuminate the word of God to us and enlighten us. And, we, and when we are uh, in fellowship with the Lord and people of prayer and we're reading and studying our Bible, we see things sometimes and we see something maybe that we've never seen before, an application or, or, or uh, a way to look at a verse of Scripture. But all revelation, all genuine illumination by the Spirit will harmonize with all other legitimate themes and revelations in the Word of God. And if it doesn't, it's not sound. Amen. He said the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. That just means they like to hear what they like to hear. And they're not going to listen to anything else. And because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That... that that, that literally means that they, the way it's written in the Greek is they will pile up for themselves. In other words, they will run to and fro and they'll just, they don't want to hear anything but what they believe and what they see and they won't listen to anybody else but they'll go to teacher after teacher after teacher that, that will tell them what they want to hear. It's a dangerous way to live. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What's a fable? A myth? Fiction? Remember in in the scripture we've looked at before in Proverbs, you're supposed to incline your ear to God's sayings. When people stop inclining their ears to God's sayings, then they turn their ears to these other things. And they turn aside and they end up turning to fables, to fictions, to myths, all sorts of things. He said, but you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist. He was talking to Timothy here. Fulfill your ministry. Uh, I want to go now to the third chapter. And let's look at verse number one. Well, we'll read the whole passage to get it in context. For Second uh, Timothy three one. But know this that in the last days, perilous, difficult times, times of stress will come for men. Now, when it talks about men, uh, uh, he's talking about mankind. Obviously, he's talking about men and women, mankind. But he's talking about the unsaved world. But what he describes here could be true even of a Christian. A Christian, or, or, or at least most of the things that he mentions here, could be a Christian, could be guilty of these things. A carnal, how many of you ever met a carnal Christian? I know you're not yourself, but you've met a carnal Christian before. Amen. Carnal Christians can, can take on some of these characteristics, but these are characteristics of unsaved men all over the world. And he said that these things would get worse and worse. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, 
despisers of good. We see a lot of that today. Despisers of good. Traitors. That just means they're, they're disloyal. You can't trust them. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I don't know if there's ever been a time where men have been more in love with pleasure than they are today. Prosperity uh, in many nations of the world, and particularly in America, has produced a a lifestyle and and an ability to be at ease. And people are drunk with pleasures. Not necessarily sinful pleasure, but just doing pleasure. They have no sense many times. They have no sense of what it costs to enjoy the things of life. It's because many times somebody else paved the way for their ease and how they live. And, there's, and, and you wonder sometimes if there really was a really big crisis, a really big uh, uh, interruption of the, of the infrastructure of our, of our country, where in the world would a lot of people be? They wouldn't be able to cope. They don't know how to do anything. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Not predicting anything, scaring anybody. But men are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's, a, and here's a, a, an important key. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of, God, of godliness. You know, people who use the scriptures like to talk about God, but there's no God in their life. There's no reality of God in their life. They live in a way that's completely uh, 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 opposite of what the Bible teaches, but then try to use Scripture to uh, promote their interpretation of things. Well, that's, that's rampant in our society. He said, from such people turn away. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty strong, but that's necessary. He said, don't fellowship with people like this. Now, everything in the Bible has to be balanced out. You remember at one point, Paul over in, is either 1st or 2nd Corinthians, I think it was, I don't remember, one of the two. And he said that uh, if anyone who is named a brother uh, is uh, found to, to live an immoral lifestyle, he said, don't have anything to do with that brother. He said, don't have anything to do with such people. But then he went on to say in the next verse, he said, now, I didn't mean to apply that to all the people in the world. Because if you didn't associate with anybody who lived an impure life, you would, you'd have to go out of the world to find fellowship because it's all around you. He said, I'm talking about if they're a brother. He said, don't even go to eat with them. But, but, but here he's talking about, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the common sinfulness of men. But here he's talking about people who are deceitful. They've given in to seducing spirits, deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons, and their lifestyle is a threat to you if you hang around them. They will absolutely corrupt you. He said, he said uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Amen, and it's true, so we need to be aware of that. From such people turn away. Now, here's what I want to talk about tonight, and just because it's uh, needed to be covered. 
Verse number six says, for of this sort are those who creep into households and take captives of gullible women loaded down with sin and led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, this is a difficult passage uh, on the surface to explain that why is he picking on women? In fact, the, the, it has been charged, people have charged that the Apostle Paul was a misogynist, that he hated women because he told women to be quiet and, he, and, and here, you know, he talks about, I think the older King James said silly women. What in the world is he talking about? I'm gonna try to help you ladies out and with, without twisting the scriptures. <laughs> But to give you some background, one, now one explanation I, I read, uh, I think last week of this, eh, it really doesn't help you that much, ladies. This one, this one person, and I think he was writing in like the third century or something, Christosom or somebody, one of these uh, early church leaders in second or third century or something. He said that he literally meant all people. He wasn't just talking about women. He was talking about men and women. But he said that silly women was, uh, was used because it's, it's women who are easily deceived, that women are more easily deceived than, than men. And he talked about uh, that Eve was first deceived, she was deceived, but Adam wasn't. And he said really uh, the term or the phrase silly women was just... Uh, 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 a reference to men who, who are so foolish they act like silly women because they're easily deceived. I told you that wouldn't help you much. <laughs> wouldn't bring much comfort. But that's just what somebody said. I don't really think that's what this is talking about. Now, if, if I, I talked about this a little bit before. said of this sort, in other words, the, the description of men that we read in the previous verse, those sorts of people are those who creep into households and take, the New King James says, gullible women captive. In the English language, the word house, first of all, means an abode and a resident, usually a single family residence, as opposed to an apartment which you have multiple families. Somebody said, are you going to rent a house? No, I'm going to rent an apartment. There's a difference. A house usually refers to a single family residence. In the English language, household usually refers to the people in the house. Uh, 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 A social group residing in a house. That's usually a family, but it can be someone in addition to a family. When I was in high school, there was a, a, a girl in, in our high school class who came from a very dysfunctional family. So another family in our church, the two girls were the same age, took this teenager into their house and she lived with them for several years and so she graduated high school and she became part of the household. She wasn't family, they didn't adopt her, but she was part of the household. We, she went where they went, she ate what they ate and lived and slept with them and, and, and it was a wonderful uh, situation for her. They really rescued this girl. She went on to, to become a great Christian woman and has a great life today with children and grandchildren and so forth. So the word household 
in the English usually refers to a group of people, usually a family or at least a, a, a social unit living inside a, a, a building somewhere, a residence. So that would, that would lend this verse to mean that people uh, described in the first couple of verses, three or four verses there, are the sort of people who creep or sneak into people's homes and take captive gullible women. The, the, the problem with that is that would seem to indicate he's talking about either kidnapping women or holding them hostage in their home. But it just seems to be a, a weird description. We don't ever hear of that happening. You know, in, in the Bible, you can always look, if you, if you want to see what something means, look for examples of where that happened and you, you will get an, a sense of what he was talking about. Well, we don't see this happening. So I mentioned last, last week, I think, that what I think this is talking about, remember that churches originally met in the temple when the church first started. They met in the temple. Remember uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They still thought they were, you know, going to coexist with, with the Jewish religion. Well, they found out pretty quick they weren't going to be able to because persecution arose from the Jewish leaders, so they had to separate themselves, so they began to meet primarily in homes. Now, it's my opinion that that's what this is talking about because I did a, a word search, and I found out that every time there's, there's two words that are translated house and household. They're very similar words. They sound almost exactly the same. They're, 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 one is derived from the other. In the New Testament, okios uh, and, and, and okiaxum or something like that, those two words are translated house and household interchangeably. In other words, both words are translated house and household in different places. And probably by a ratio of ten, at least 10 to 1, it might be greater than that, but as a ratio of at least 10 to 1, it's translated house. Over and over again, when it talks about a physical house where people were living, that's what the word literally means. So sometimes it's translated household, but again, in the English language, household doesn't mean a house. It means the people in the house. So uh, I present to you or I submit to you that this is talking about houses of worship. That would make sense that these people are trying to corrupt the church. If you go to the next verse, he said in verse 6, for this sort of those who creep into houses, I'm going to say houses, and make captive of, of captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's something going on in these houses that is akin to learning. These evidently are houses where women are trying to learn something. The most likely explanation of this, and this will give you ladies some comfort, maybe not completely. In New Testament times, it is a fact of history. It's not conjecture, it's an absolute fact. Women were uneducated. They, they, they only had the very most basic degree of education. They really didn't learn anything beyond house and home. Men 
uh, went to the synagogues and even in Greek culture, men were, uh, 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 had availability, had, had opportunities presented to them to learn things that women didn't. So men generally were better educated about the world and about things. And education develops critical thinking. We know that. The more educated a person becomes, the more they, they hone their skills in learning, the more perceptive they are to nuances and, 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 and understanding more complicated things. Well, men had developed that and women had not. Because of that, when the early church met, according to, to, to writers from, from uh, those times, when the early church met... Uh, in homes or in sometimes they met in a larger facility, an upper room somewhere. You remember when Paul was at Troas, they were at, uh, up in an upper room and a man fell out of the third floor. So that was not just necessarily somebody's house. It was a big place. So when the church met, the women met separate from the men. In other words, there was a division in the room. The men were on one side and all of the preaching was done to the men. And the women could hear it. But when in, in uh, 1 Timothy, where Paul t- talks about women being silent, and in 1 Corinthians, where he says he's not allowed for women to speak, he's really talking about wives. Because in the Greek language, there's not two, we have the word for wo- wo- woman, and we have the word wife. A woman is, a, is an adult female. A wife is a married woman. In the Greek language, there isn't two separate words. There's only one word, and it's spelled G-Y-N-E. And it just refers to women, but sometimes it refers to wives. And you have to look at the context to see what he's talking about. If you'll look closely, women, at those passages where women are told to, uh, to, to be quiet, it says if they will learn anything, let them learn at home and ask their husbands. Well, what if they don't have a husband? That couldn't be applied to all women because not all women have husbands. What would happen in some of these meetings where the, the, the teaching would be going on and men would be discussing the scriptures, sometimes the uneducated wives would ask their husbands a question and they'd get into a squabble. Have you ever gotten into a squabble with your spouse? I know you never have. Keep my comments to myself. But sometimes there, there would be husband and wife banner back and forth and it would distract the meeting. And so he said, wives, if you're going to learn anything, ask your own husbands at home. Okay, so that's what was going on. Now, the unmarried women, the Bible talks about women prophesying in church. They just had to have their head covered to show that they were in submission to their husbands if they were married. Uh, so women could participate in the services, but but because of the, of the dynamics of husband and relation in husbands and wives in those days and the culture, it was just a cultural thing. It wasn't a God thing. It was a cultural thing. It caused a lot of confusion in the churches, and that's what Paul was dealing with. And that's why he said that he doesn't allow a woman to teach or to usurp authority over the man. Again, there is no word for husband in the Greek. There's no Greek word for husband. There's a word for man, and there's a word for woman. If you look at that passage, it says, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. So it's talking about husbands and wife. And if you read it that way, it simply says, I don't allow a wife 
to teach over or usurp authority over her husband. Well, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So what was going on in some of these houses is some of these women uh, being uneducated, not knowing a lot about what goes on outside the home, they were gullible. They were just easily led astray. And there's even a suggestion here that some of these women weren't really the best uh, uh, morally people. These could have been women off the streets who had gotten saved and had come into church. Maybe they had been prostitutes. Maybe they, in Greek culture, maybe they had uh, been involved in the temple prostitution that was going on with, with the, you know, the uh, pagan gods. A lot of that went on. So they're in the church, and uh, because they haven't uh, grown in Christ, they've still got some sin in their life. It says, loaded down with sin and led away with various lusts. These weren't just common, ordinary church women, Okay? And he said, for of this sort of these men that he's talked about before are the type of people who creep into churches and lead captive gullible people. Now, I can't get away from the fact that it said women. I'd like to, I'd like to believe that it meant all people, but it just said women. So we'll just have to deal with it. But today, we don't have that dynamic. But there are gullible people in the church. And what causes people to be gullible, there's two things, sin and lust. That's why it's so important to keep sin out of your life and to keep your body under under subjection to the Lord because when you don't, you open yourself up to deception. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, lay aside every sin, every weight, you have to lay those, side, those things aside because if you don't, it'll open you up to deception. Don't, and, and that's true for men just as well as it is for women. Well, amen. Glory to God. There are always, some people are always learning but never come to the point of accepting the truth. You can put the truth right out there in front of them, but they've turned their ears away from the truth. Well, this, he said, will happen more and more. As we approach the day of the Lord, we need to be aware of this and we need to make sure it doesn't happen to us. Amen? So how can we protect ourselves uh, from this? In uh, verse number five, the first thing he said, from such people turn away. Get away from people who are bad influences on you. Get away from them. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't associate. You have to put, you have to balance the word. Paul said it's not talking about just segregating yourself from the world because we're supposed to be a light and a witness to the world. So he's not talking about uh, at work. You, you might have somebody that works with you that isn't saved. Maybe they are sleeping around or maybe they, you know, living with somebody they're not married to or maybe they, uh, are, they drink or maybe they, you know, t- tell dirty jokes or, you know, whatever, curse. They're not good influences. But sometimes, you know, you'll go to lunch with them. There'll be two or three people going to lunch. He's not saying that that's wrong. Because he said you'd have to go out of the world to get away from people. He's talking about people who have yielded to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. A lot of unsaved people, all unsaved people, maybe back up, all unsaved people are deceived. But not all unsaved people have religious deception. 
I mean, they're deceived in the sense that, they, that their eyes are blinded to the truth of the gospel, but they're not following squirrely doctrines. They're not following any doctrine. It's those people that we have to be on the lookout for. And he said, stay away from them. That's the best thing. They're dangerous. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2. And let's look at verse number 1. But there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So you have this sense of stealth, of creeping in, of sneaking in that we saw in this other passage. Well, where, where would they bring them in? They'd try to bring them into the churches, to the local churches. He said, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many, now here he didn't say a few, he said many. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And Paul, when he talked over there in the, in the passage in 2 Timothy, he said, just like Janies and Jambres in the Old Testament in, in, uh, in the day of Moses resisted the truth, he said, even so, these people resist the truth. But he not, made another statement. He said, but their folly will go no further. He said, it'll come to an end. Thank God. Keep holding on to the truth. If there's, it, listen, if, if, if everybody you know, and I don't mean here, but everybody in your family, if you, people that you've known a long time, if people fall into error, don't go with them because it's going to bring destruction. We don't, we don't want that in our lives. Amen. They're cunning. They secret, secretly bring in destructive heresies and many will follow them. You know, a good way, uh, uh, another good, uh, good uh, uh, method of protecting yourself from this, and I've already alluded to it a little bit, live a godly life. If you'll live a godly life, the Bible says that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, the righteous from temptation. If you're not living a godly life, you, you already, to a degree, are already deceived. And you're, you're not going to be, God is not going to be, is, is not going to supernaturally deliver you from false teachings whenever you're following after the devil. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go to 2 Timothy again. 2 Timothy. And let's look at Chapter, chapter 3 again. Look at verse number 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Another way to protect yourself is to be aware of this. And that's, 
I told you on Sunday, the whole reason I'm teaching this is because I'm seeing so much of it in the body of Christ. I'm seeing ministers who at one time had, had wonderful ministries. I'm seeing them fall aside and get off in, in, on tangents and get into false doctrine. And they're, and they're taking people with them because they're persuasive. If you've been preaching or teaching as a minister for very many years, it doesn't take long to hone your skills of, per, of persuasiveness. And some of these people are very, because of their God-given ability to persuade and to, and, and to lead people to see certain things, they're leading people to see things that aren't so. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm quite concerned about it. And I want you, because I know that uh, we don't live in... Uh, today, in today's world, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching to a closed group here. There are a lot of voices out there. there. There are voices on the internet. There are voices on TV. There are preachers preaching all kinds of stuff. And I know that, that uh, you're aware of these things. And I want you to protect yourself. Amen. So know that in the last days, it's going to get worse and worse. And worse. Amen. Now notice verse 14, and here's the key. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. He said, stick with what you know. Now that doesn't mean that you don't learn more about what you already know. But he said, he said stick with what you know. And it's interesting to me that it says, Continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Now, that might just be a gloss, but I'm inclined to think that God just doesn't say stuff that doesn't have significance. It's one thing to know. uh, It's one thing to be mentally taught something. It's another thing to have revelation knowledge. It's another thing that when, the, when, when, when a truth gets down on the inside of you and it goes off like a bomb on the inside and suddenly it grips you and you're full of, uh, of power, you see it. I mean, you, when, when that happens, you're assured. And you, not only that, you've acted on it and you've seen it produced in your life over and over and over again. There's not anything. Wild horses can't drag that out of you. He said, stick with that. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you've been assured of. You've proven it out in your life. Stick with that. Amen. Amen. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I'll talk about that in a minute. Now notice that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Now, it's interesting that, now he goes on to say, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote this, this second epistle to Timothy, when he wrote this, there was probably only two, maybe three of the four gospels had just begun to circulate. They hadn't been out very long. This was mid, around the 60 you know, 62, 67 uh, AD, you know, in the first century. The gospel of Matthew, we're not really sure when it was written. Mark was probably uh, written about this time and Luke also. John, John's gospel wasn't written until the end of the century, over like 95 AD. So we did, they didn't have John's gospel. 
So Matthew, we don't know when it was there. It might have been there. but So there's two or three Gospels, but they had only just come out. So they weren't widely circulated. What was widely circulating was the epistles. Paul's epistles and Peter's epistles and, and, uh, uh, and Jude and James, those letters had begun to circulate. When he says here, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, he couldn't have been talking about the epistles. And, and in fact, when it, when it says the Holy Scriptures, that is a direct reference to the Old Testament. That, that was the Holy Scriptures. They didn't see it as the Old Testament because they didn't really realize that there, there was an old and a new There was no New Testament as a body of collected writings. There was nothing known as the New Testament. Like I said, these letters were circulating. The the believers in in the first century of the church, they recognized that something had happened that they were not a part of Judaism anymore. And until Paul's uh, began to write to them about the mystery of the church. They really couldn't explain it. But you know, when, you born, when you're born again, you know that you know something has happened to you. You've, a, you've become a new creature in Christ and you go back in the temple and it's just not there for you anymore. It just doesn't do it anymore. Something has happened. So they knew that they were somehow a distinct people separate from what they had come out of. Of course, if they were Gentiles, it was even more so. But the New Testament as a body, as a, as a body of literature and a compilation of, of, of uh, uh, books, we would call them mostly letters, the, that, hadn't been, that hadn't been put together. There was no consciousness of the New Testament. But now Peter did refer to the, to the uh, epistles of Paul, and he said that people wrestle with some of Paul's uh, writings just like they do the rest of the scriptures. So the, the church recognized the, the, the inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. They recognized the inspiration that was on these books. But my point is there was not a New Testament uh, per se. When it, when it says, I'm making a point here, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There are people today that they will not even read the Old Testament. And if you try to make any kind of point and just point out some truth from the Old Testament, oh, no, that's Old Testament. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Somebody was in my office a couple years ago, and they didn't like what I taught about spanking children. It's not like I get up and teach a lot on spanking children. We don't have spanking seminars. But they, they, you know, didn't like to discipline their child and, and uh, according to the Bible, and they heard me. So they came to me, and they said, I want you to show me from the Bible. Well, there's quite a few scriptures on, on spanking your children. So when I started, he said, yeah, but that's Old Testament, isn't it? I said, yeah. He said, you can't find any of that in the New Testament. I said, I don't need to. It's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures. Now, you can't be saved except through faith in Christ Jesus. How does that read? Which are able to make you wise for salvation, which is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The early church knew that you couldn't be saved by 
uh, following the law. But there's wisdom in the law. There's wisdom in the law. And I tried to tell this parent, I said, these, these verses that I'm reading to you from Proverbs, they're not even from the law. They're from the, from the poetry books. And there's tremendous wisdom in the Old Testament. So people who say, well, you know, we don't, we're going to read, read anything from the Old Testament, that's not balanced. We know that all life and practice is determined by the New Testament and the New Testament is, is, the, is the final rule for, for life and practice and belief in the, new, in, in the church. We don't follow the Old Testament, but there's a whole lot of stuff in the Old Testament that gives you wisdom for this salvation. Well, amen. People get, get into error in these things. Hallelujah. Running out of time here. I'm, I'm going to hurry up. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God, the person of God, might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, I just want to bring out all scripture. All script. When Paul said this, he could, the church could not have possibly been thinking about the New Testament. There was no New Testament. When he said all scripture is profitable, he's talking about Genesis right up through Malachi. All scripture, church, is profitable. No, it's, it's, it's not what we base salvation on, but there's wisdom and information and it's profitable. Well, amen. Glory to God. Then I want to I close with this. I only have just a minute. I'm, I'm running over just a second, but bear with me. He said something else, something else. He said, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them. Well, who did they learn them from? First of all, from childhood. And we I talked about this on Sunday on Mother's Day. He talked about in chapter 1, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith which is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. So they had learned some things from their childhood. Don't throw out everything you learned from your childhood. Just because you get more revelation. I, I am a solid word of faith guy. Solid, no compromise, no apology. But I so appreciate my upbringing in the church. They didn't have the revelation of the word of faith, but I tell you what, I learned so much growing up in that church. So much word was put into me on just basic Christian living, just balance in life, just loving God, serving God, faithfulness, all of these things. I got that before I ever got into the word of faith. Amen. He said, know from whom you've learned them. So they learned some from childhood, but notice back up in verse 10. He said, you have carefully followed my, do my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, and afflictions. He said, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you, you learned them. It's, it's right and necessary to judge leadership. He said, look at my life. He said, you need to know from where you get your information matters. 
And anybody with, with even a, a limited amount of money can get on TV and on Christian television. They are, if you've seen some of the programming, you can see they are struggling to find somebody to get on the air. There is no test for doctrinal purity. There's no test for, for, for purity in life. Anybody with a budget can get on TV and they polish themselves up and they look really good and they look like they're, you know, like, that, like they've come from, from you know, uh, 150 years of, of lineage in the Word. They just got saved three weeks ago, if they're even saved. Paul said, you followed me, you know me. Amen. You need to know who you listen to. And it says, he said, you have carefully followed. Here, here are the things that you look for. Doctrine. Doctrine. All of these things that are mentioned here, I carefully followed uh, my spiritual father, Kenneth E. Hagan, and he excelled in every one of these. And that's why I knew, because I, of course I knew that, that what he was teaching was Bible, but I knew he lived it. He said, how are you supposed to judge leadership? Judge them on the basis of doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. And if they've not been through much, they ain't got much. That's the truth. The more you see and the more you experience and the more, you, the more trouble you go through, the more it refines you. And you can trust people that have been through the fire and have been refined. Well, praise the Lord. I'm over a little bit, but that's all right. Glory to God. So on Sunday, I, I think I've adequately, I didn't do everything. Guard your heart. This is the last point, or second last point. Guard your heart with all diligence and put the word first. Praise the Lord. So I don't need to elaborate on that so much. I do at other times. So on Sunday, I'll start something different, and it'll be a blessing, I trust. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.